0: Hello, and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you ideas about how to be happier. This week, we'll talk about why you should do 10 jumping jacks right now, unless you're driving, and talk about why life is like high school. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature, I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister Elizabeth Kraft whom I will see in person
1: very soon. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And yes, Gretsch, the time is coming close when we will be together in L.A. You'll be able to see um, the much discussed renovation of our house, (laughs) at least where it is now, Um, because you're going to be here for your book tour. Yes. It's just 19 days until The Four Tendencies hits the shelves. Very exciting.
0: Yes, I cannot wait and I cannot wait to sit in your new hot tub with you and to celebrate. Um, It's going to be so much fun to be together. Now, back in episode 129, we talked about a listener question from someone who who was thinking about changing careers, but she was worried about what they would think. And another listener made a really, really good point. She was surprised that we hadn't mentioned the possibility of this listener starting a side hustle. Because, of course, in the Onward Project, which is the family podcast that I created, there's this excellent podcast hosted by Chris Guillebeau, Side Hustle School, which is all about starting a side hustle. And starting a side hustle is a great way to experiment and to try out some new opportunity or some new interest or some new possibility on the side. So I thought that was a really good point.
1: Yes, it might be less scary than just... Quitting your job and starting a new. Right, right. Gives you a little transition time.
0: Yes, yes. A little more security as you're making that big change.
1: And then also in episode 126, we talked
0: about the happiness stumbling block of perfectionism. That seemed to strike a chord with a lot of listeners. Um, And we asked for people's anti-perfectionism mantras. We had several ourselves and people flooded us with their anti-perfectionism mantras.
1: Yes. Kate said, do it badly.
0: <laughs> I love that.
1: And Dare said, at work, I say, no one is born knowing this stuff. Very good. I love that. Which I love. Uh, Liza quoted Salvador Dali, the artist,
0: who said, have no fear of perfection. You will never reach it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and then Katie said, completion, not perfection. And I think that's a common theme, something It's better to get something done than have it, you know, not get it done and go for perfection.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And Karen, speaking of side hustle, she said, I have a side hustle working as a fitness instructor for a well-known gym in Canada. The owner has several good mantras, including good enough is good enough. And don't let the things you can't do stop you from doing the things you can do. Mm. So thanks, everyone, for these great mantras. It was so fun to read those. Yes. So, listen. this week, our Try This at Home tip is it's very straightforward. I think this is one of the, like, the most simple Try This at Homes that we have ever proposed. And that is to right now or whenever you feel like it, do 10 jumping jacks.
1: Yes. And it's funny, Gretchen, that we haven't done this one before because this <laughs> is you're always saying let's do 10 jumping jacks. So are we supposed, should we do 10 jumping jacks? Should we do it right now? Absolutely, yeah. Okay,
0: let's do it, Elizabeth. Okay, I'm standing up. Okay. Oh yeah, should I count for both of us? Okay, here we go. Yes. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So
1: funny! We heard Liz's mic bouncing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is one of the reasons that it makes you happier is because other people find it very goofy and silly to see people doing ten jumping jacks, so they get a big kick out of it, and so it's a good it's a good way to lighten the mood. (laughs) Kristen, definitely. I have to get my breath. Okay, (laughs) yeah. I mean, the thing about ten jumping jacks, and this, you know, a lot of times we talk about. The long-term things that will make you happier, you know, like to work on your relationships or tackle big projects or maybe something that's not quite as long-term but that's not immediate. Something like get more sleep or read more. Mm-hmm. This is something you can do right now for a, a jolt of happiness right now. This is like, you know, your emergency 911 in the trunk of your car type happiness (laughs) booster kit
1: well and i guess it it really increases your energy it gets the blood flowing is that what it is
0: yeah you know i think i think it's a couple things i think it's the blood flow that it energizes you it weirdly it's i think a lot of times things that energize you also calm you so i think if you're feeling Mm. like what i find a really good time to do 10 jumping jacks is like Let's say I'm about to speak. Mm. If I have that kind of nervous energy that b- makes you feel mm-hmm. kind of restless and you know unsettled, doing 10 jumping jacks kind of gets your energy, I don't know, directed or centered in some way. I find that I, sometimes I'm like all dressed up and I have a microphone on and I can't do 10 jumping jacks. But if I can do 10 jumping jacks, I often will. And again, I look silly. I mean, I'm sure the people who are around me are like, what is this lady doing? I was doing her attention. I can't. Uh,
1: not something I would recommend doing in heels. Because <laughs> yes. you don't want to break your ankle right <laughs> before you, your speaking engagement. Yeah, your
0: psych up uh, <laughs> exercises. But also, you know, one of the things that has really struck me more and more as I've thought about happiness is that it's very easy to overlook your body. Like I, for a long time, mm. didn't think about the role of my body at all. But the thing is, wherever you go, there you are. Your physical experience always colors your emotional experience. And I find that when I do long-term things like getting enough sleep or not letting myself get too hungry, that's good. But then sometimes even... Like I would put this in the category of sometimes I'll just go outside and look at the sky or even go to a window and look at the sky just to get that natural light in my eyeballs Mm. because that boosts your energy and is like good for your body to have that natural light in. And again, that's something that you can do right away. Or our Happier 911 playlist on Spotify, which we did, I don't know, like a year ago. How many songs are on that now? I mean, hundreds yes, of songs. a lot of songs. And these were songs where people were like, this is a song that can, I can always count on to make me happier. These are quick things that you can do if you're like, I don't have time <laughs> to do mm-hmm. the long-term things. Um, and 10 Jumping Jacks takes no time at all.
1: What's funny is uh, there's this thing about men doing push-ups. And I'm just, re- I always wondered, why do they do push-ups? Like before they go out or before a big presentation, it's their version, you know, maybe of doing the jumping jacks. It's a little happiness boost to do the push-ups. I won't be doing push-ups. But
0: I could not even do a single push-up. So that would that would definitely <laughs> not work for me. Um, I like a, I like a good jumping jack. But, you know, sometimes if you, if for whatever reason, jumping jacks don't work, you can run down the stairs, you know, like. Not just plod down the stairs, but to run down the stairs or jump over a puddle. I think anything that gets both feet off the ground, it's Mm. kind of playful and childlike. So it taps you into that kind of youthful energy Mm -hmm. and it does get your blood going in a way that increases focus and alertness. And I also use it not only for sort of for energy and focus, but um, specifically for a mood boost. So like I do this with Eliza and Eleanor and this, this is where my happiness bully comes into play. Uh Like they'll be really bummed out about something or crying or whatever. And I'll say, do 10 jumping jacks. And they'll feel ridiculous. Like there they are, you know, despondent and I'm ordering them to do 10 jumping jacks. But it often helps. It really does help. It's weird how it does kind of lift your mood. And it kind of breaks the tension of a moment, too, because it is it's hard to feel the same level of kind of melancholy when you're doing mm-hmm. jumping jacks. It just You know, it just breaks the mood.
1: Well, you can tell Liza, she's going off to college that she's feeling homesick. She can do jumping jacks. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That is not something that's on the
0: college essential uh, preparation list. Uh-huh. But I, we will add that to our, our personal list. So let us know if you do try this at home and how doing 10 jumping jacks works for you. It's simple, but it's effective. Let us know on Twitter, Facebook, drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, you can go to the show notes for this episode, which is at happiercast.com slash 131 for everything related to this episode.
1: Gret, you know I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day.
0: Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com/happier. That's N-O-O-M.com/happier. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com/happier to start your trial today. So Elizabeth, it's time for a happiness hack. And this one came to us from our listener, Eric. It's simple and powerful.
1: Yes. He says, this is a happiness hack to stop using your phone so compulsively if you consider yourself a phone addict like me. It involves the strategy of inconvenience. I've tried many ways to stop using my phone so addictively, such as sleeping with it outside my bedroom or deleting the soul-sucking apps or turning it off, but nothing seems to fully do the trick. On iPhones, I had a six-digit numeric passcode as well as the fingerprint unlock feature. The fingerprint feature makes unlocking my phone take a millisecond. How convenient (laughs) for a phone junkie like me. First thing I did was delete my fingerprints that were saved to the phone, planning to go back to manually entering my six-digit numeric passcode every time. However, I remembered you mentioned in the happiness project, the idea of changing passwords on computers to words such as gratitude or patience as an extra way of exposing yourself to positive messages. I thought I'd apply the same thinking to my phone password while also making it extra inconvenient. (laughs) So now as crazy as it sounds, I'm proud to say my phone password is quote, you don't need to check your phone right now. You want freedom. That's a total of 51 characters. When I go to use my phone compulsively, I have to type this in very carefully. And the sheer attention this requires is usually enough of a mindful check that tells me it can wait and I can put my phone down. So that's one of the funniest hacks we've had.
0: Well, and also, but it's so brilliant. He's using the strategy of inconvenience that I talk about him better than before. And the fact is, if the things are convenient, we're much more likely to do them. If they're inconvenient, we discourage ourselves from doing them. And so this is a great example of using convenience and inconvenience to shape your behavior the way you want. Don't try to change yourself, change your behavior. And also, you know, one of the things that we talked about in this thing about whether you text at night and whether you receive text at night is to think about how you are the master of your devices how can you adapt mm-hmm. your devices to you so that they serve your purposes? And this is a person who is like, I'm going to tinker with it so that I stay in control. And this is so brilliant, so simple and so brilliant. I actually think that if I wanted to do this, I would be able to figure out how to do it in my iPhone. I think it's it's that simple with changing settings and stuff. So
1: I think this is brilliant. Yes, Brilliant. Yes, I think it's brilliant. I also think there is no way that I will do it. <laughs> because I am addicted to my phone and I do not want that barrier to entry. But I admire others who do.
0: But even if you didn't want to do fifty one, you could do fifteen. You know, you could make it a little That's bit harder. True. Not fingerprint, yes. not six, which you can do like in a flash. Yes. Yeah. So thank you, Eric. That was a great suggestion and we're always looking for ways to hack technology. So that is a great suggestion. Yes. And now for the happiness stumbling block for this week. And this is the stumbling block of when you feel like you're in high school all over again.
1: And yeah, Gretch, I mean, this is hugely present in my life um, and I think most people's lives. (laughs) Like when... Jack started kindergarten. A lot of people had told me, okay, just prepare yourself. It's just like for the parents, it's like high school all over again. Uh huh. Because you have to find your place and meet everyone and you, you know, you, you, you feel like you stick out because you're not, you know, part of things yet. And I thought, oh, that's crazy. I won't feel that way. Everyone's an adult. We're all nice people. (laughs) And yet I remember I called you and I said, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm in high school all over again. And you had, you said one of the best things you've ever said to me. Oh. You said, it's not that it's high school all over again. It's that life is high school. High school is just the first time you noticed it. (laughs) And that has given me such comfort. And I have told that to so many people because it's really true.
0: Well, for you, it must be especially true because I feel like this life is high school feeling comes up whenever you're in a place where you have to find your, you know, you have to find your friends, you have to figure out your place, you have to sort of figure out where to sit in the cafeteria. And yes. you're constantly in a situation because your jobs change so quickly that you're constantly yes. like, oh, there's a big writer's room with a big table with 20 seats around it. Where am I going to sit? You know, so for you, that happens over and over and over again. So Jack starting school was one, but then you off- often have it in your work life, too, right?
1: Yes. Um, for some reason, the sc- the school felt more um Potent, maybe that's because it's school and I, you associate high school, that feeling of <laughs> high school with school. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But yes, I experience it often once a year when I change jobs. But luckily I have Sarah there with me. So oh. we, um, we're we our own little clique.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think one of the reasons that this life is high school feeling can feel like a stumbling block is, first of all, it's anxiety provoking because you have to figure out your place. And then also sometimes it feels like you're regressing because you're like, oh, my gosh, mm-hmm. I feel all the feelings that I felt when I was 15 years old. Like, have I learned nothing? Yes. Haven't I matured? Haven't I you know, learned enough? Don't I have enough time and experience to surmount this or to transcend this? Or you feel like, oh, my gosh, the people around me are so immature. Like, who are these people? Why are they behaving this way? Can't we all just be grownups? And so it gives you this bad feeling of somehow being stuck in the past or not being mature enough um, to handle a situation in a more kind of advanced way.
1: Yeah, but what I've realized is just like high school or just like starting college, Usually, the people around you also are feeling that way, and they want you to reach out (laughs) and they want to reach out. And if you say, Oh, hey, we should get dinner sometime, they're like, Yes, we should. You know, people want to make connections, they want to feel like they fit in as well. Yeah. And it's very
0: comforting to realize you're not the, you know, I'm not alone in this feeling. Other people are feeling this too. And I think you know you also do learn with time and experience how to handle those situations more gracefully. And I will never forget when Eliza was going into uh, preschool, so this was her first. Her first experience with school and my first experience with school and I was having exactly what you described. Like we're all milling around in this tiny hallway with this miniature furniture and I was feeling incredibly ill at ease and I didn't know anybody and was just, you know, uncomfortable. And then one of one of the mothers who had older children and who clearly knew the drill just sort of clapped her hands together and said, Well, I'm gonna go get coffee. Who wants to go get coffee with me? And I was like, (laughs) I would like to go get coffee with you and like, you know, went (laughs) after her like the little duckling. But I was like, she knew what to do, which is like we all wanna meet each other, we all want to sort of have a pleasant interaction, but she had sort of the gumption to propose a plan and put herself forward like that. And I thought, that's what you learn to do as a grown up that you learn to be like, okay, how do I, you know, how do we get through this? We all have this uncomfortable feeling of not knowing each other. I'm going to be the one who can step forward and sort of take charge and help everybody engage. This is how I've moved forward from high school, you know this is happening. This is what adults can do.
1: Yeah. And maybe a way to turn this into a good thing is you think, oh, I wish I could go back and do high school all over Mm. again, knowing Mm -hmm. then what I know now. (laughs) Well, I guess we always have that opportunity because we're always in that situation again. So, you know, Next time you've, you're starting a new yoga class or whatever yeah. and you're feeling this way, it's like, well, think about how you wish you'd acted in high school and just do that. Right, 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 right. And when you feel those feelings, you know, it, it's to say, well,
0: that's normal. It's like there's nothing. I'm not stuck in the past or totally immature. Life is high school.
1: Yeah. And one thing, Gretsch, that helped me yeah. was remembering, okay, I've always made friends in the past over time. Yeah. I've always found my place and gotten really comfortable and had a voice. And so I'm just going to trust that that will happen again over time.
0: I was literally having this conversation with Eliza two days ago. Oh, really? Because she, ner- she was saying that she was nervous about college and all the- all those kinds of things. And I said, look, you've made friends in the past You will make friends in the future. You just have to let it unfold. So, yeah, there is comfort in that. There's comfort in knowing you've done it before, and there's comfort in knowing a lot of people feel the same way you do. It's just, it's an aspect of life that maybe never goes away. Yeah. (laughs) Even when you've left high school behind. So now it's time for a listener question. You can leave us a voicemail question at 774-277-9336, which is also helpfully described as 77-HAPPY-336. Or, as always, you can email us at podcast at GretchenRubin.com, or you can record a voice memo and email us at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Whatever
1: works for you. Gretchen, this week our question comes from Beth Lean, and she's got a tough one. She says... I write to you today with a difficult question. I was hoping to get your advice on what to do with my dead mother's wedding dress. Mm. I don't want it. I keep it in a closet that I pretend doesn't exist. Nothing seems appropriate to do with it. I don't want to donate it because I imagine someone buying it to parade around in a gorilla mask for Halloween or something equally as disrespectful, nor do I desire to repurpose it into anything. Mm. So what should she do? This is a really difficult question, like she said. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, you're sort of like, well, you
0: could donate it to a school and they would use it as a costume in a play. But, like, how would you even go about doing that? I mean, that that would be hard to do. Or you could do something highly symbolic, like you know, burn it in a, in, a, in a beautiful bonfire in your backyard or, like, send it out to <laughs> sea. But that sounds kind of dangerous and sort of, like, littering. I mean, you can't do that, even though there would be sort of a symbolic freeing of the object and putting it back out into nature. Uh, I don't think that's very practical.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know what I think maybe she should do is donate it. I know she's worried about donating it because she doesn't like the idea that, um, you know, someone's doing something sort of silly with it. Yeah, But I think if she donates it and just in her mind says that someone who needs a wedding dress or needs this dress for some reason is going to get it and it's going to make their life better and it's going to be just the object they need and she just assumes that's what happens, that's what I think she should do. Because the truth is she'll never really know what happens. She's not going to run into someone on Halloween in <laughs> her mother's wedding dress. Right. And so she can be free of the object that sounds like it's a bit oppressive mentally to her and do something good and just assume that it went the way she wanted. And yeah, guys, this is Kristen. Yeah. I just want to say that. Liz, I love that sentiment because I got married in a secondhand gown, a beautiful robin's egg blue silk dress from the 1960s, Ah. and I bought it at a consignment shop in my neighborhood, and it was the perfect dress for me. Mm. Nothing would have fit my personality better, and I'm so grateful for whoever donated that from their mother's or grandmother's closet that I got to have that for my special day. Ah. So beautiful things can happen in a secondhand gown.
0: Absolutely. Well, see, that's a perfect example of, like, let it go into the world where it can serve its purpose and allow someone else to be happier. Because she has these imaginations. She doesn't know what's going to happen. And that is a beautiful thing to think about. Yes. Somebody very happily wearing her mother's wedding gown. Oh, what what a lovely thought. So thank you, Kristen. That's such a great example. I love hearing that. Yeah. Oh, and if you're curious to see Kristen in her uh, vintage wedding dress. I will put a photo in the show notes so that you can see what that beautiful secondhand bridal gown looked like as she wore it to march down the aisle.
1: So thank you, Bethleen, for your question, and I hope this helps. Okay, Gretch, it is time for demerits and gold stars, and you're up this week with a happiness demerit.
0: So this is a new take on a demerit, Elizabeth. So I'm I, I'm thinking about demerits kind of in a large way. Mm. So... It's the idea of doing a pre-mortem. And now I will post a link in the show notes at happiercast.com slash 131 to an article from the Harvard Business Review about pre-mortems for anybody who wants to read about them. But the idea of a pre-mortem is that you use prospective hindsight, hmm. as much of a uh, an oxymoron as that seems like. You imagine an event that has already occurred and try to figure out what happened. And the way that it works in business is you imagine, okay, we had a big product launch and it utterly failed. Hmm. Why did this product launch fail? And what they found is that when people think this way, they often come up with solutions and identify problems that they don't imagine when they're looking at a problem prospectively. It's one of these weird things about like reframing. You know, Elizabeth, you're always talking about reframing. Instead of saying like, well, how can everything go right? You say something went terribly wrong. What went terribly wrong? And you're like, oh, wait, I think I know what ter- went terribly wrong. So mm. I decided that I was going to do this with my book. And I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to do a premortem. I'm going to give myself a prospective demerit. So I'm giving myself an imaginary demerit in the future. What is that demerit? The demerit is I didn't do enough to support the book. The book has totally fizzled. Mm. The book just kind of dies on the shelf. What happened? Pre-mortem. And I'm like, what did I do? I didn't do enough to drive pre-orders. I didn't talk about it enough. I didn't think about it enough. And so this was a way for me to think about... How do I prioritize this time now because I actually have time to avoid getting that demerit because it 's still uh-huh. in the future so it 's this weird way of thinking about time it 's this idea of a of prospective hindsight is really weird, but it actually works because. Before that, I was like, oh, I'm doing plenty to promote the book. And then when I right. did this exercise, I was like, oh, my gosh, I became totally fired up about my pre-order bonus videos and and spreading the word and doing more to get it out. So it really, I think it really worked.
1: Uh, So, yeah, because people don't realize pre-orders are so important. Right. Uh, you don't want to just get the book when it comes out. It makes a difference to you if it's pre-ordered. Of course, I pre-ordered mine, mm. Because
0: you're such a good sister. Gold star for you.
1: Yes. So what are you doing? So now you're just trying to do more to do, get pre-orders than yes. you were doing before? Yes.
0: I just amped it up again. I had been sort of like, I did one round and then I kind of was like, oh, I've done so much. And now I'm like, no, I really could do much more. So for instance, right now, I will mention my, you know, the link, uh, GretchenRubin.com slash 4 bonus That means that you can get these five videos for free that are all about the four tendencies which are going to be fairly pricey after the book comes out, so you can get them now. Or if you don't even want the videos. You know, a lot of people don't really watch videos. It's still really, really helpful to me if you pre-order, however you pre-order, whatever way you buy your books. I'm just mentioning it because doing this premortem really made me realize I'm going to regret it if I haven't done everything I could have done. Because there's a comfort in knowing that you did everything you could. Yes. But if you haven't done everything you could and you realize when it's too late, that is a very bad feeling. And a premortem helps you think of the things that you will wish you had done if things go wrong. And so it's, it's, a, be, it's a very interesting mental exercise.
1: Yeah, I think this is a great idea. I'm going to have Sarah and I um, do a premortem um, on our development project.
0: Yeah, it, it's interesting how it surfaces. You'll have to tell me how it goes. I'll be very curious to hear. But enough of demerit, Elizabeth. Take us up with a gold star.
1: Yes, so Gretch, I'm giving a gold star today to uh, my friend Jessica, who recently entered uh, Beverly Hills pie-baking contest. <laughs>
0: I want the the t-shirt. I
1: I want the (laughs) t-shirt of the Beverly Hills pie baking contest. (laughs) I have to have that. And I'm giving her a gold star because she's not a baker. It's not as if Ah. she's constantly baking things. But she said that entering a pie baking contest was on her bucket list. It's something she's always wanted to do. So she taught herself how to bake lemon meringue pie. (laughs) She made a lemon meringue pie and she made it a few times. Like she made it once and it was, you know, she thought the crust was too leathery. How she even knew what leathery crust is. <laughs> I have no idea I guess she had to read up on that. Um, and so she tinkered with it and she figured out, you know, how to make it perfectly. And she made her lemon meringue pie and she entered it in the Beverly Hills pie baking contest. And grat- She would get a gold star just for entering the contest. 100%. Um, But I have to point out, she got two prizes. (laughs) She got third place for taste and she got first place for looks. So I, yes. So that was very impressive. So I give her a gold star for taking on the task and completing it and do something that was just like off her usual beaten track um, it goes to your thing. You always talk about about living in an atmosphere of growth, right? And in this case, an atmosphere of growth was uh, baking a lemon meringue pie.
0: <laughs> I love it. It's very whimsical, whimsical yes. and manageable, and so fun. Yes. and she can. Yeah, you don't
1: it. have to climb a mountain, right? You could bake a pie.
0: <laughs> I love that. Excellent gold star, and that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Do 10 Jumping Jacks. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. It's something you can do right now, unless you're driving.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you to our producer, Kristen Meinzer. Also, thanks to Andy Bowers of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. If
0: you like this show, please be sure to tell a friend. Word of mouth is always the most powerful recommendation. And subscribe to us uh, in however you listen to your podcasts. Um, The resources for this week, if you would like to sign up to be a super fan, that would be great. From time to time, I will give you a little treat or bonus or maybe ask you for a minor favor. Um, And you can sign up at happiercast.com slash resources. And I'm gonna mention it once again because I'm doing my pre-mortem. Uh, the book comes out in 19 days. I really appreciate your pre-order.
1: Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft
0: and I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward.